to episode number ten of the Third Power. Yeah, we have double finally, digits. Yeah, we finally hit double digits. It took a while, but you know, I've been plugging along, finally getting we there. We did it. Yeah. Hey, we're not quitting anytime soon. We're gonna keep going. Maybe we'll hit triple digits someday. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my name's Usman Jamil, and my co-host Anthony Abitolo. What's going on? Yo. What's up? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, mad props to uh, Dave Merton Merton Jones. I don't know how to pronounce your name because uh, I'm an idiot, but M E R T E N Jones. Yeah, Dave. Or I just say Dave. Just Dave. Dave Jones, whatever. But yeah, Dave Jones, like from the uh, the sea, like the, the, not, uh, from the monkeys. Oh, well, I thought you were gonna say like Davy Jones Locker or something like. Yeah, from the monkeys. I mean, they're not the same thing, but you know, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. I never monkey around. Wasn't yeah. Davy Jones their lead singer? Really? Yeah. Huh. I thought they would have just named him like Ringo. Bar or something, some Beatles ripoff or something stupid like that. Ringo Barf, yeah, Ringo Barf. Yeah, exactly. I know how uh, much you guys out there vomit noises, so oh, there we go. Um, in this episode, uh, you know, last episode we we kind of went on about some cards we weren't big fans of. You know, they weren't cards that were just like, man, you're an idiot for playing this. You know, we you know we weren't going like that, but you know, just cards we weren't a big fan of. In this episode, we'll be talking about cards we you know. We don't really see in as many lists as we would like. We're we're fans of. Give them the thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, and you know, I also want to preface this by saying too that these are cards that we don't see on a whole lot of other lists because they, you know, they're probably in that same uh, marginal uh, for cube quality marginal cards. Um, but we've gotten, you know, we happen to like them a lot. Um, we'll tell you why. And, you know, maybe maybe you'll like them, too, and try them out. Maybe you already tried them and hate them. Maybe you never even considered them. But uh, these are not cards that we think should be auto-ins for anything. Like, man, if you don't run this card, you're, you know, X, Y, Z. No, it's just cards that we like that we don't see in a whole lot of lists that we wanted to tell you about, kind of I, as a response to this episode. Yeah. Also, I think uh, – I don't know if I'd necessarily say they're on the fringe – I think some of the cards are just kind of underrated. Like, there are some cards in here which I definitely sure. feel like, you know, there may be some misevaluation going on. But, yeah, for the most part, we aren't like, you must play this or uh, you you have you should punch yourself in the ear. It's like, man, I don't know. Oh, exactly. Feel. Like, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to mention a couple of cards that I personally think should be auto-includes. But I'm also going to mention a bunch of cards that are either going to be fringe playables and uh, probably going to mix in one that I might be the only person on the planet playing it. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, before, you know, we got to do, before we talk, before we gush, got to do crack pack. All right, let's crack some Pachasauruses here. Yep, and uh, for reference, uh, these are my cube. It's on my list on the blog, I'd rather be cubing, that wordpress.com. Uh, power, 450 cards, blah, blah. Uh, I don't know, you all can read about there, whatever. Crack pack. All right. Card, card number Here one. We go. Goblin Ruin Blaster. Ruin Blaster. Number two, uh, Nantuko Vigilante. Vigilante. Number three, Balance. Ooh. Also autographed. Number four, Godless Shrine. Very nice. Number five, Sacred Foundry. What is this, Ravnica? So many dueling. Nice. Number six, Phantom Centaur. 
Niapak, man. Niapak. Number seven, Stoneforge Mystic. I wonder what card you're oh, going to take. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Number three, Arc Lightning. So much Naya. I'm taking this from all over the place. Number nine, Battlefield Forge. None of this entering the battlefield. Number ten, Kodama's Reach. Where is it? Around. Yeah, where's the, where's the Esper? Uh, number eleven, Basilisk Collar. Number twelve, Indrix Stompaller. Okay. Number thirteen, Maloku the Clouded Mirror. Hello. Oh boy. That changes things oh a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> number fourteen, Demonic Tutor. What? Ooh, now we're no, getting some spicy. No longer Naya. Number fifteen, Umizawa's Jite. Oh man, that suddenly changes things. So is that is that fifteen? Yeah, fifteen. I'll double check, but oh yeah, yeah. it is fifteen. Yep. Holy yeah. crap! Well, you know this pack looked really easy until the last yeah. two cards. <laughs> well, it was like that one I mean, pack. At least that... for me. I mean, I you know before that it would have just been auto, probably auto balance. I definitely would have considered Stoneforge Mystic just because how much in love I am with the card. That's why. But I was those last now. three cards. Just yeah. change things so much. Do you want to narrow it down to those uh, three and maybe balance? Yeah, I think we can do that. Um, because, for example, there's no way I'm taking Stoneforge Mystic over Jit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather just have the Jit and then maybe the Stoneforge loops because people aren't going to be necessarily that excited about it or, uh, you know. I mean, if nobody else opens up and not equipment, then maybe we get the Stoneforge back. Hopefully. But, yeah, like, I, I I think we can just auto-cut it to, for me, to balance Maloku, Tudor, and Jit. Yeah. That's I don't know how you feel about that, but... No, I agree. Like, the other stuff is is nice, but I'm not, like... You know, Sound Power, great. Uh, Stoneforge, great. Phantom Centaur, I'm a fan. Vigilante, I'm a fan. Rune Blaster, I'm a fan, but, you know, I'm... But the like, power is just not there compared yeah. to, the, to the rest of the card. Exactly. Like I'm a fan of these cards, but these these four are bonkers, man. All right. All right. I, I'm going to make another cut, and you tell me if you agree. I'm going to cut it down to either Maloku or Umazawa's Jetta. As yeah, much as I, I like Demonic that. Tutor, um, you know, Demonic Tutor for some people, Demonic Tutor might have some value because they look at this pack and they say, "Well, it's the only black card." Guess what? There's only one blue card in this pack too. <laughs> That's true. Like I think signal, like signaling, it's like I don't think it's really necessarily different in cube. Like you know, draft is draft. You know, I think signaling is obviously important, but I think sometimes yeah, but, people but can. It can be. It's overstated a lot. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's kind of. It sometimes is overrated. It's like well, the I'm thing sending is, you. You get a pack with you know five bonkers cards in a color, like literally multiple first picks in a color. And you can't take them all. So, like, even by the time that pack hits person three or person four, they could still be seeing a a, a, a first pickable card in a certain color and think that that color is open when two people ahead of them might have taken a card in that color yeah. already. And they're like, so, you know, it's like, hey, uh, green's open, and the person's, like, flashing. It's like, nope. And the person next to them's going, right. nope. But yeah, right, 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 right. And like as it I, turns out, the first person who took it is just like, <laughs> yeah. Like I think Maloku. Like, and, and again, like both of these cards are splashable. But you know, I'm, Mountain Cuter, not the greatest splash. Balance, I think, is fine. But 
I think when yeah, it comes both of to those cards are pretty good, and yeah, like, I, mean, I, I think balance. I mean, balance is incredibly powerful, but not all decks are balanced decks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every deck is a Maloku deck, just about, and just about every deck is a Jit deck. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like but, that point. Like, I don't, I can't think of. I, you know, to be honest, I don't know if. I mean, I, I would dare say I would probably play Maloku in more decks than than Jit because I would play Maloku in some sort of aggressive deck as a curved hopper even. You know yeah. what I mean? I could be tempted to do that because the card's actually just that insane. And, like, Jet obviously, is just, like, the most powerful equipment, um, ostensibly. You know, there's – it's, it's you know, in the running for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, it, for you guys who know my cube, not allowed to pass it. <laughs> not allowed to pass it. Well, I don't have – I've got that. I've got that dilemma yeah, right then. Yeah, oh. you don't have that dilemma. But since we're using your cube, yep. don't have that dilemma. Yeah, or yeah, you, However, have, you gotta. <sighs> that's man, this is tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. This might be one of those situations where I put both cards face down to someone else I know at the table and just say, pick one, and then <laughs> go with whatever one I wind up with and be perfectly happy with it. Or ask somebody, uh, ask somebody like you know, ask a buddy or whatever, just like, hey, like uh, someone who's like someone who's burning the draft. Yeah, or like, hey, Kenny, come over here and tell me what to take. It's like, hey, man, hey, man, hey, come here, come here, come here. Which one of these is my taking? Yeah. And then, you know, whatever they say, you're just like, okay. God. I Ugh. I mean, they're both extremely powerful. That's the thing about both these cards. Extremely powerful. Flexible. Deck. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, Moloku has a little more of a constraint because you have to splash work, but that's fine. Like, that's, I mean, the fact that it's P1, P1 means you're much, you're going to keep that in mind as you keep going. It's like, well, I'm going to get a sure. couple, I, I might want to take some duels or bounce lands or man lands or whatever so I can afford, not man lands actually, ew, but signets or whatever just so I can play this guy. Uh, yeah, a, just be blue and not worry or, about it. Or that too, but see, that would make sense. God, man, this is hard. All right. Man. Also depend also 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 I thought Yeah, just Hey, at least I'm not snapping this time. That's true. Not yet anyway. I think I think also one thing that might be a factor is who you're cubing with. Like if there are people who don't aren't very big on aggro, you know, undervalue it, don't know how to play it, like uh-huh. GTA might be better because you might be more in you might get more of an aggro. Maybe I don't know. I'm tr- I think I might just be trying to justify one pick over another. I'm just reaching, man. The fact remains is that uh, the Jitty Jitty Bang Bang is actually unbelievable in mid-range decks and also pretty darn good in slower decks as well because mm-hmm. um, it really helps put the game out of reach as well. Yeah, it's like so, make my creature uh, huge and removal. Uh, I, you know, I think I'm right. going to have to... This is what I'm doing. You ready? I'm going to tell you my pick, and I don't know if it's correct or not, but I am going to take the Umazawa's Jitta and hope to loop the Mystic. Huh. I like that. That's, that's I like going that. to be, that's going to be my pick. Because okay. I can see, because these, because you know, most likely Maloku's going next. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're, I mean, it depends on how many people are at the table too. If this is a six man draft or a four man draft, then I'm definitely going with that plan. Because I'm definitely looping the other one. Because yeah. I imagine, in my mind, the Maloku is going to go next. Uh, the Tutor will go soon after that, and then the two lands, the Godless Shrine and the Foundry, and yeah. then quite possibly 
uh, someone's going to snatch up the, uh, what's his name as well? The, uh, one of the green cards, whether it be Stomp Howler or Kadama's Reach, because they, you know, they want to be, because there's always someone who loves playing the rock. And those two are just really, really good mid-range green deck rock cards. Yeah. So. Because, well, I mean, nothing beats rock. I mean, can't blame them. Right, right. Nothing beats rock. Go yeah. rock. So that's my pick. I'm going with it. If someone said to take Maloku, I, and, and that I'm stupid for not taking Maloku, that's fine too, because I am probably stupid for not taking Maloku. <laughs> I would be either one, but only because Stoneforge Mystic is in this pack. And I've been such a proponent of the card. I'm going to run that plan and then just be really angry when the Mystic doesn't loop. That's true. I mean, it's essentially, if you think of it that way, it's Umizawa's Jite plus Stoneforge Mystic versus Maloku. When you think of it that way, right. that's true. Yeah. I can't guarantee that. I mean, I, you know, well, someone else could agree with me how awesome Stoneforge Mystic is. The person on my left might have opened sort of, uh, you know, sort of X and Y. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I well, don't know that, but... Well, let's say there's a certain percent. Let's say uh, 60%. For me, so... Yeah. I think I'm going to have to... I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm being good cop or bad cop in this, but I I, I think I'm just going to go Maloku. I don't know. Maybe I'm, sure. just, being, maybe I'm just being a waffle. I, but, I, uh, I can't possibly... I'm literally 50-50 with it, and just, you know, I have to make a decision because I don't want to... You know, I don't want the whole podcast to be me going, ah, uh, which one, uh, yeah. <laughs> which one should I, uh, uh, so, so that's my plan. I'm sticking to it. I'll be more than happy to be called wrong or right on that one, but I'm pretty sure I have those two cards are, are the correct ones. It's one of those. Yeah. Dead heat, dead. And, and you that's, know, we're going to opinion. I'm sticking to it. And you know, if, if y'all listeners want to vote, you know, I've got this, I'll, you know, I'll post it on the blog. About, Absolutely, you know, and you know, uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the votes come out. Like, I think there was the one like a uh, a Johnny Venger versus Smokestack that we had in one of the, I think it was our first crack a pack, okay. and I think like everybody voted Vengeance, and I was like, man, I wanted to be closer. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think both of us said we really like Smokestack, and everyone else was like, nope, we like a Johnny Vengeance. Yeah, but I mean, you know, no, that, ever- that's fine. You know, disagreements are disagreements. You know, it's all good. Well, yeah, it's all- it's all good in the magic playing hood. Yeah, that, that sounded really gangster right there. Totally. It sure did. Yep. OG Usman over here. Yeah, that's the probably the whitest thing that's ever been said, like, on this podcast. No, not even white, so that's even better. I was going to say, that's coming from the brown guy, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. Uh, for the next segment, we'll be talking about uh, cards we are fans of. Uh, do you want to lead, or should I should I go, or which which? I don't you know, know what? You can you know I I made the call the decision first on the crack pack. Why don't you go first with the card that you like? Okay. Uh, I think the first one. You know, I think it was one of those cards that I think people used to run and then didn't, and you know this kind of like max mass exodus to cut it. Okay. When uh well you know I'm being ambig- ambiguous for a reason <laughs> of course. Uh, which is mainly well, when the you're going to tell us at some point. Well, of course. I mean, I could I could go half an hour. It's like, oh, back in whatever. But okay. I back in my big... day, we used to walk uphill in the snow both ways. Yeah. And oh, there I... to go play magic. And that's the funny thing, off-topic thing. Uh, you know, it's it's the end of March, and it's snowing outside. I love Midwestern weather. Uh-huh. Anyway, the you know there was a big change that happened. 
And this change was the M10 rules change when every, you know, just like damage on the stack was removed and everybody was going to quit the game and, you know, they were going to play with the old rules and not play with the new rules and, you know, a huge upheaval happened. No pun intended. And it got people to rethink some cards because of damage on the stack. You know, like, uh, is, is Tribe Builder good enough? Yes. Is... Uh, CGN Commander good enough? Yes. Uh, one, I think most people were pretty, you know, pretty much like, yup, yup, snap keep. Uh, some of the cards that I think weren't, and I think I might just keep them in this, in the same bullet point are Mog Fanatic and Morphling. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, and, and the main thing that I wrote down was Mog Fanatic, but I figured, you know, Morphling is good enough too, I think. Mog Fanatic, I believe, is one of those cards that I think people, when the M10's rules change thing happened, I think a lot of people, you know, they had in their cubes, and then once the M10 rules change happened, people got them, you know, they hurt, you know, damage on the stack affected it. It was just like, this card, Mog Fanatic, is now worse. Without I mean, take- which is true. The card yes. is not as good as it used to be. Yes. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't see how you can argue with that part. Yeah. Of it. Wayne Gretzky isn't as good, you know, wasn't as, you know, He's not as good as he was in the Edmonton Oilers days. But. Right. Once the neutral zone trap was popular, starting with the New Jersey Devils, oh. speakers like Wayne Gretzky were not as effective. Yeah, I okay. like that analogy. Nice, nice. Good call. But yeah, I think Mog Fanatic is one of the, is probably the most egregious example I think of when people misevaluated the cards with context with damage on the stack. Like people were like, "This card sucks. It doesn't do." whatever anymore. I think the main argument I have to those claims is that what exactly did Mog Fanatic lose? And if, and you know, people, if, if they've read my articles, whatever, you've probably heard this point a thousand times. You're hearing it again, because I, I think it's a good point. <laughs> I think Mog Fanatic, like, for a main point, it's like, what did it lose? Like, what, it lost the ability to trade with X2s. Like, it can't, you can't block a, uh, Civic Wayfinder with it and go damage on the stack, kill it. And you can't block a dude and then sack it to deal one damage to something, usually a player, after damage goes on the stack. Right, you can't kill a one toughness guy and still do one damage to something else. AKA, can't two for one them while, you know, while blocking or attacking or can't squeeze the extra point out. Yeah. And I think I think when people misevaluated the card in that sense, they didn't realize what the card overall did. Like, still carries equipment like a champ, still onboard threat, still deals damage, still kills X1s easy. It's like, you got a bob there? Okay, kill it, whatever. Kills birds, kills elves, whatever. Kills a lot of things. And I, I think people misevaluated that card and took it out of their cubes, unfortunately, rather hastily without really critically thinking about what the card did. And I think more or actually just testing with it and making sure that it was still good. Yeah. I think I think that too. They just weren't they just weren't like, well is this card still good? Let's try it out. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Play, play, play. That's yeah, still good. And I think Morphling I think is pretty similar in that way. Like I think Morphling lost definitely some ability. Like before he was Superman and he lost you know, he lost abilities. Like you can't turn him into a five Add, you know, you can't turn him into a five infinity or whatever. You can't, you can't, like, you know, 
damage on the sack, trade, uh, whatever, uh, attack into some dude, damage on, make him a huge wall or whatever. You can't do that. Right. And that was, that was the big, that was the big thing about that is you can't, you can't crack in, stack damage to kill their guy and then save your morphling. Yeah. Like it's gotta be one or the other. Yeah. And I think, like, and I, but I still think it's fine. Like, I, I'm I, I'm still playing it, and I have no, like, intentions on cutting it anytime soon. You know, again... Yeah, I mean, I'm still playing it. I mean, I realize it's, a, you know, it's a a couple shades worse than it used to be. Um, but the card is still fine. The card is still good. And the card is still relevant in Magic history. Like, any card that used to be the former title holder of Best Creature Ever, probably not coming out of my cube anytime soon. That's true. That's true. I didn't think of the whole historical thing, but that is right. Funny. And that's like, you know that's just the way I roll. Like not a lot of other people consider that necessarily important, but I do. Um, so for me, it, it, that definitely plays a factor in, in things as well. Makes sense. But I think I think I, the lesson to be learned, and I think that's something you know at least I try to really push, is you know to learn lessons from you know arguments or whatever you know things like that. And I think I think the major lesson I think with Mog Fanatic, for example, is to to really critically evaluate. You know, it's like if something happens, if there's you know if there is a rules change or whatever, if something happens, whatever, or you're really evaluating a card, really think of its overall effect. Blah blah holistic, blah blah overall, blah 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 whatever. You you guys have heard this a thousand times. I mean, you guys you guys have heard me go in the soapbox a thousand times. Think of the overall Great. effect. Yeah, take a shot, people. There you go. There's your cue. But yeah, don't don't uh, you know? I think I think people when they you know I think you just really have to really think about these kinds of things. Just think critically. Just go. Oh, this you know. Obviously, it's like you know maybe the first impact and like man, Mog Fanatic got nerfed, but still good. Like that's fine. Like uh, what was that? The uh, were some Diablo creature, Diablo two, some guy who got like the Necromancer got really nerfed, like he was retardedly good and then got nerfed. But yeah, like they they, they took turns nerfing guys, like they nerfed like the corpse explosion on Necro, oh, yeah. and then they nerfed the hammered in, and then like they nerfed something else, and like I don't I don't know, it's been so long since I played. Yeah, same here, man. But, but yeah. I remember hammered in being unreal. I mean, hammered in is still good, but. I love the Hammerdens. They were, except when you were in that level two tunnel. Oh, Maggot Lair, uh, the insect God. one, where you, Maggot Lair. I think it was Maggot Lair. Yeah, that sounds right. With the little skinny hallways, and you can only kill guys if they were above you or to the right of you. <laughs> yeah, that was awkward. I was like, ugh. Uh, uh, somebody uh, teleport me past this. Thanks, thanks, guys. Right, yeah. exactly. You just like put a, a find a piece of equipment with zeal on it or whatever, so you can actually or charge, charge. And yeah, just, smite or whatever. Yeah. Hope to get where you need to go. Anyway, yeah. everybody else is all probably right. like, "What are these guys talking about? These guys are talking all nerdy." Like, yeah. Hey, this magic podcast that I'm listening to is filled with nerds. Nerd. <laughs> Pot and kettle, etc. Stop listening to magic podcast, nerd. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> my first card, um, probably not going to have as profound a lesson as yours, um, but it's a card that a, a lot of people have asked me. Um, that they're a little surprised when they see it, but I've been so incredibly happy with it, I'm not surprised more people aren't running it. Um, and it's a fairly new card from uh, World Wake, and it's uh, Searing Blaze. Ah, um, yeah. 
a, a lot of people have seen Searing Blaze, and they kind of go, really? And I say, yeah, well, you know, and, and basically my, my explanation is it's going to be pretty short. Um, in an aggressive strategy, um, you want to be able to, you know, there's a couple ways to, to be aggressive. One is to play creatures and just kill their creatures and keep attacking. One way um, that some people like is to get a board presence. Um, I mean, I like this way, too, and then lock up the mana somehow, whether that be through uh, Tangle Wire, Rashad Import, Strip Mine, Winter Orb, Armageddon. You know what I mean? That, that's another angle, too, to preserve your board advantage. Um, but Searing Blaze kind of does two jobs in one. Um, not that it affects their mana so much, but it kills their creature, so it kills the, you know, the obstacle, and it still does work to the face. I mean, there is nothing like, I mean, I know whenever I get Searing Blaze for three, and, you know, they get to kill my guy and hit me for three and then attack, it's pretty demoralizing. The Searing Blaze does some serious work when yeah. it comes to the, the red aggressive strategy. And some people are like, well, the double red and the cost, eh. The thing is, is that the double red and the cost, while sometimes can be a little bit of a problem, this card is still fine on turn three or turn four because people are still playing three toughness creatures at that point in time. So even if it takes you until turn three or four to play it, that's good too. Um, and the fact that it is an instant, you know, you can also sandbag fetch lands and do it at the end of their turn. So to, to, to cack one of their new creatures that are coming into play. So um, if you guys are looking for uh, another card to really help support your red aggressive strategies, I would definitely uh, fully endorse Searing Blaze as as one of those cards. Now, uh, riddle me this. How often have you had it without really a target? Or at least been kind of like, man, I wish this was a... Uh, I don't know. Man, I wish this was uh, a... Uh... Probably never. I, I know exactly where you're going, because even... The thing is, even let's say they have an X4, an X5, you know, whatever... It still does three to their face for two mana. Yeah, which isn't bad, but I mean, you're you're combining that with your dude swinging into it kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. And it's like I'm perfectly fine with you know I have a bunch of two power creatures. Oh, uh, they played Wall of Blossoms. Well, Searing Blazer, Wall of Blossoms in your face. You know, attack or attack or attack and block Searing Blast. Yeah, right, and then. Blaze or whatever, blah blah. But I also like to sometimes it's sometimes I, I can't tell you an exact moment, but sometimes I actually do like searing blazing things ahead of time or burning things ahead of time to make them have to make a decision on whether or not they want to lose it in combat. I, I huh. wish I could tell you a specific example of that. Um, that seems like a thing it, where it, you doesn't, might... it doesn't happen very often. It's, yeah. it's definitely a court case type thing. Um, but a lot of times it's when their guy is a utility creature of sorts. Um, I will, I, a lot of times will like it. So say, for example, if there is a utility creature, that's something I definitely want to kill. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I definitely want to. Or a Malo- like a Maloku. If, if they don't block it, let's say something like Maloku. Sure. Maloku is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say they're tapped out or whatever. They don't have any, any duders. Um, I like having to give them the decision of, okay, well, crap, I just took an extra three damage that I wasn't expecting on taking. Do I want to lose my Maloku not to take additional damage, even though I'm going to lose it? Um, 
I think the situation I do that most often is when I have like multiple burn spells in hand or I have like multiple removal spells in hand. If, if I'm planning, for example, I'm not letting, if I can help it, I'm not letting that Moloku live. Hmm. So if I can, if I'm in a situation where I'm okay trading a creature and a burn spell for it or a, a creature and a spell for it instead of trading two spells for it, I like to give them that option. Not all the time, but sometimes I just feel like I would rather have the other spell in my hand. Let's say the other spell in my hand is something really powerful, something like uh, maybe it's something like a Vindicate. Maybe yeah. I kind of want to hold on to that one for a little bit longer since I have the ability to deal with their guy. I don't know. Like I said, it's I can't think of a specific example, and it does not come up very often. I don't want you to think that it does. But every once in a while, I do like doing that ahead of time to really make them want to block it. There are two scenarios I can really think of. One is, you know, when you're trying to tilt them and you're trying to mess with their head. Yeah, uh, that's two, part of it. Yeah. I think number two, and this is something I was thinking of, is, like, if you actually want them not to, like, I'm trying to think of how a way to articulate it. But it's kind of like where, let's say you do it pre-combat. Yeah, and you only have one creature. But you have like a vines of acid in hand that kills them. Well, no, I think if, I think in this in that scenario, if you say are doing it pre combat, it's a scenario where you want maybe your opponent not to because they have an incentive in that case. It's like you know I have my Maloku searing blaze and my opponent's got dudes, and the opponent will at least the argument at least the argument that I'm kind of pushing is your opponent is you know doing that pre combat and then they're attacking. I think in that case, if I were to be doing that, I'd want my opponent, because you're essentially presenting them as a choice, it's just trying right. to make them tr- to do the wrong decision. It's just like, right. well, I I want them that maybe probably not to block, because right. if I did want them, if I did want to, say, have them trade, you know, my uh, Jackal Pup or ja- uh, Goblin Patrol with my Maloku, or with the opponent's Maloku, I'd just swing, uh, after damage, kill it. Whatever. But I think a lot of players won't won't if you're especially if you're a red deck, players unless unless they're going to die to that two damage aren't going to block it anyway because the advantage they're going to get when they untap is just much greater than any sort of advantage any than the risk of well I'm going to block it and hope they don't have the burn spell. Yeah. It's you know what I mean? Yeah. I, mean it's... I, I see the situation too where um, it happened at uh, Star City Dallas. Um, a similar situation. A similar situation. I wasn't playing red, but it was a situation where I actually a guy played a Baneslayer, and I was trying to talk him into. I was trying to convince him not to block because I had enough mana to triple Vines of Basswood and kill him if he doesn't what? block my one creature. Triple? Yeah, it was it was a stupid draw. Um, so I attack with like my one creature, and he's like, okay, um, if he has a trick. It was like it might have been. It was a like a niece's chosen or something like that. Um, he's like, if I block and he's got the trick, then my Baneslayer Angel is dead, and I really want this creature to stay in the game so I can get kind of get back into it. Um, and he was really like harping on, oh, if he's got the trick. So I actually showed it to him. Huh. I was like, yeah, I have the vines. Trying to get him not to block it. <laughs> because nice. if he doesn't block it, I kill him with the other vines in my hand. Wow. And he was just like, oh. he was like, oh, he probably has the vines. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. You know? And he's like, 
<sighs> whatever, like, <laughs> I'll just block it. And I'm like, man, I dig it. And as it turns out, I just killed him the next turn because he didn't draw a creature and I just find something that turn. Ah. But, you know, it's, it's kind of that whole trying to convince your opponent to do something you want them to do. And, yeah. and I think it, it's, it's definitely corner Casey. Uh, you know, it's not something that happens very often, but to answer your original question so we can go into the next one. No, I have, I have never found searing blaze to not be useful. It is very rare that it doesn't have a target. Um, cause you know, limited's about creatures and even cube limited is about creatures. So they're in play, you know, likely they're going to have something, you know, like I said, worst comes to worst. They play something enormous later on in your, let's say they don't ever play a creature until they play their, you know, X Titan or whatever. It's still a three damage burn spell to the face that you might be able to, you know, use some of your other cards in order to kill it. I think there so. was a, I forget, there was a walkthrough, I, th- I think a PTQ or something report where uh, Zayim Big was talking about, uh, like, his opponent was playing some kind of, like, white-based control deck, and he was playing, like, red with Searing Blades, and he was just like, come on, opponent, play creature, play creature, play creature, because, you know, he had, like, and then opponent did, he played a wall of omens, and then drew, and then did something relevant, and then Zayim was like, uh, Searing Blades you for the win. Like, yeah. Right. Way to go. Thumbs up. Yeah. I mean, eventually they're going to play something. So, yeah, obviously it's not ideal if they don't play a creature until turn seven, but hopefully if they don't play a creature until turn seven, you've already won that game. That's true. Yeah, red, yeah, the, it, it's gonna, <laughs> you wanna, you wanna have them, like, right. I mean, that sometimes, point, or maybe they'll just be at three, and then they'll just be dead. Yeah, so. or like, yeah, some critical burn range is like, blaze, fire blast, you shuffle. That's right. It. You're like, end, end of turn, crack a thatch, seven your face. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's yep. definitely. Right. Okay. Uh, another card, Here's... and this is kind of a similar uh, one of these kind of cards that I think people misevaluate and I think I think doesn't get a fair share, is uh, is Wild Dogs. Like, hey, so, well, like so often it, I, I feel that people just really overestimate its drawback. It's just like... Man, my opponent. And again, this isn't like I'm not trying to exaggerate or anything. I've so many, I've heard arguments like my opponent bolts me, and they just get it. They just get wild dogs, or it's uh, you know, it's, it's not good enough. I forget what other reasons, but I, I've just heard not very good arguments for not including it. And I definitely think wild dogs is very good. I think it's one of those cards that I think is quite underrated, and usually unfairly. Like I think obviously yeah, I mean, it's, it's a two power beater for one. Like there's not yeah. too much to complain about there. Yeah, I think like this is gonna sound like an awfully reductionist argument, but if Wild Dogs is switching sides on you, a you're probably doing it wrong because this it's not a mid range card, a control card, it's an aggro card. Uh, B even if it does, that's not necessarily game over. Like if you're an aggressive deck, it's your opponent. Is it going to automatically win because they have wild dogs on their side? Mm. It, it sucks. It sucks for you. It's like, oh, uh, lose my guy. Ah, man, dagger. But and know. is it fair to say though, if you put your opponent on red, that you might play another one drop first instead of wild dogs? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair argument. Yeah. Just but like I you think... don't play ritual negator if you know your opponent's red or white. But yeah, red. Oh man, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're like ritual negator. They're like shock your negator. Oop. Yeah, <laughs> bolt it. Oh, or seal fire or something. 
Right, right, right. That, back in that day, both of those cards were around. So yep, and that was always the the nut. And you're playing red. They're like, they're like the ritual. You're like one time negator, one time negator, negator. <laughs> Shocking. There goes all your permanents. Well, I guess it's a more of a hint to Torok. It's like a few. Sack the permanents. Well, that's what I mean. It's essentially good. it's a three for one, I guess. But yeah, it's essentially sure they is. just yeah three for one. Good game, sir. And I also think like. Nice yeah, and I also think like I think cycling is a very useful ability. Like I wish it was on yeah, more cards. If you draw it late and it sucks, you just cycle it. <laughs> yeah, like I think for example on something like Undead Gladiator, which I think is fine, and it was one of those cards I was considering putting in, but I would sound like an idiot if I were to say, "Hey, it's great, you should run it," and it's not in my list. That would be kind of dumb, right? But I think like Undead Gladiator, or maybe another generic like Undead Gladiator cycling is more as kind of to use it as a draw engine. But I think like a generic cycler, uh, like, a, like, uh, Eternal Dragon I think is another kind of corner, like, other case where it's like, cycle it and then kind of loop it long term. But you know, generic cycling creature, like, it's pretty much just like, oh, play it, and if it's irrelevant at this stage of the game, draw it. I mean, that's, that's obviously a nice use for it. But I think with Wild Dogs, it's useful in case that drawback is relevant, which I think helps negate said drawback. Like, say, you're at 11, your opponent's at 15, you draw Wild Dogs, one-time dealer, cycle, draw a card. And it's useful in that right. case. But I think even just as, like, I drew it, it's probably going to stay in play, but I want to try to gamble for something better. One-time dealer, I got a land, man, that's that's not... Well, I just or, think I just think it's... It's fine because, I mean, it's good early because it's a two power for one. And if you draw it late, it's not dead because you can just trade it in for a random card. You know, it's just yeah. a jungle weaver at that point or whatever. You know what and I, mean? I think that's like an argument people have against aggro. And again, that's not really a good argument that, you know, oh, your creatures, like if you draw an Isamaru on turn eight, it sucks. Uh, your opponent should be dead at that point. But let's say they're yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes you draw an Isamaru, but sometimes you already have equipment in play. So, yeah. you know, maybe your Isamaru is a two-mana 4-2 because you have Bone Splitter in play. Do you know what I mean? Like, four, four, one. So it's it's really hard to, oh, four, to evaluate two. cards in a vacuum. I mean, my my favorite part of, well, that card sucks if you draw it late. My favorite counter-argument to that is, well, so are lands, but you play plenty of those, too. Ah, that's true. I like it. But I mean, I think obviously, that's over, obviously, that's overstating it a, a bit. But, you know, like, it's the same thing. Like, just because the card isn't good on turn 12, or isn't the best on turn 12, doesn't mean you're not playing it. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I think that pretty much sums it up. I mean, it it does what you want an aggro creature to do. Early early drop bashes for a, a ton, because it's two power, and late game, mm-hmm. it's relevant. You know, you can just cycle it away. If you if you want to play right. it, no, you mean, of course you can play it. 2-1, that ain't terrible. Especially if it's got pants. Or just cycle right. it. So I don't know. I, I'm really a fan of that card. Like, and for those who argue it'll just see sides with switch sides without ar- exaggeration, I've seen it switch sides twice. One when I when the opponent uh, cast Kitchen Finks and it switched sides, and the opponent I believe the Wild Dog it wasn't me who did it it was uh, somebody else who was playing it and then they like they worst case scenario ended up it's like man see the card switch side I'm like man that's like dude come on. <laughs> have better evaluation with it, you know, that's not how it always plays out. And number two, I think the opponent was, yeah, playing red, and then I think 
it wasn't turn one bolt, but it was turn something where they had enough direct damage to you know, get them below life and then it switched sides. And yeah, that sucks yeah, in that scenario, but whatever. I mean, there are going to be worst case scenarios for every card, but again, it's all about seeing sure. the range. You know, just like, how often does it blah blah, how often does it blah 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 blah, take another shot. But yeah, just be aware of the overall effect. Don't get blinded by the best case or worst case. That's pretty much it. But yeah, Wild Dogs, I like. Thumbs up. Alright. I've gone enough of this. I'll hand the mic off to you. Here is uh, a card that some people definitely don't like because they said it just never, they tried it and it just never did anything for them. um, Where every time I am this color, I slam this card because it's so good. And I, it's one of my favorite cards. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of people are playing it, but I think there's been, been some movement in the past year or so where people have, have moved away from it because it wasn't good enough. And I find people are very polarized about this card. It's very few people just say, yeah, it's okay. It's usually, oh, this card's insane or, oh, this card doesn't do anything. And I'll just quote the, uh, the front of it in, uh, a good friend of mine, Adam. Uh, wrote on the front. You might not realize this. Oh, this that card. Ever. And it's Shellback Isle. Yep. Um, hideaway lands, as as you know, are are super powerful. Um, they're you know they're showing up in Legacy and the Show and Tell decks. Um, they were you know strong proponents in uh, all the aggressive decks, the token decks, and things like that. Um, but Shellback Isle is the one that actually just really excels in limited because of um, its activation trigger. And basically, uh, for those people who don't, you know, know what it does, basically if one of the cards, its trigger to turn on is um, someone's library has to have 20 or fewer cards in it. Now, when you're only starting with 40 cards in your library, not so difficult to happen, especially when you're playing a color like blue, which uh, typically has longer games than, let's say, a red deck would. Um, also, you know, blue decks do things like draw cards. Uh, in addition to having longer games, you know, you're playing cards like uh, Thirst for Knowledge and uh, Compulsive Research, so you're, you're drawing cards, you're, you're making the game go longer, and then, hey, check it out. I have a two-mana ridiculous spell that I put underneath this. Um, that I can cast at instant speed. Um, some some highlights of this card have been instant speed upheavals for two <laughs> mana. Nice. Then you then you know as as we all know how good upheaval is. But when you get to save four mana on casting it, also also pretty good. Um, you know, large finishers. Um, you know, all right, attack. All right, Sheldock Isle in a Sundering Titan. Kill your guy, <laughs> kill three of your lands. Um, and then, of course, you know, there are just times where you're just like, okay, Sheldock Isle for, you know, Gifts Ungiven. And then in your hand, you have a Bounce Land. So you pick oh. up your Sheldock Isle again. And then when you play it again, it's already active. So th- I like the card a lot. It does, it has always done a lot for us. <clears throat> you know, being able to play spells for only two mana at instant speed, which obviously at instant speed doesn't work for some cards like Planeswalkers. Ha! Oh, End yeah. of my turn, put a Planeswalker into play. Oops. Oh. But 
you know, <clears throat> consequently kind of neato with a sort of body and mind too. Just the just going to oh, throw that corner case out there too. Whoa, uh, obviously, nice. obviously, it's the biggest corner case possible. But you know, anything that that helps turn it on are uh, are good. Which I, you know, that's kind of a, just a way to live life. Anything that <laughs> turns you on is is good. So it's a okay. There's yeah, there's think, my spiel about a shell like Isle. I think also it's important to consider like it does come into play tapped, which is it sure does. Obvious, it's obviously a liability. But how much of a liability is that for blue decks? Like I I don't really. Obviously, it sucks if you play it on like you know playing on turn two. You know, in, yeah, turn you know, two is probably the worst turn to play it on. Yeah, like um, I definitely just say that's, that's your your counter spell mana starting, but like even you know if you're playing it on turn one or three, you're still probably fine. And obviously there are going to be times where, oh you know what I really need the fourth mana to cast a wrath here, and all I have is this coming to play land. However, you know the bounce lands come into play tap two, and that doesn't stop me from playing those. Or the mainlands. Right, I'm still going to play those cards. You just have to you know work your deck. And uh, work, you know, your game out um, and progress it in such a way that the coming to play tap is not that big of a deal. Sometimes yeah. it is, regardless of whether or not you want it to be. But I think that's a small price to pay for the. Uh, I think the downside's a lot lower, a lot less severe than the upside is. The upside yeah. is way severe. And there are times like I don't run it in my cube anymore. I used to, but like there have been times when. Like, it would kind of whiff. It wouldn't, like, I wouldn't hit four lands, but it would be, like, uh, hit two cards that are kind of meh. Like, a deep analysis and a elf. And then put the deep I analysis. Mean, but, I mean, that's fine. Like, right. instance be deep analysis. I'm okay with that. And I have also, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I may also have, uh, quote-unquote whiffed on it, but one of the cards is a bounce land. So you get a redo. So it's on your opponent on your opponent's turn. You put the <laughs> uh, yeah. oh oh next turn oh I get a cryptic. And uh, another another useful part about Sheldock Isle is you can always again just Jedi mind trick. You know, say you do whiff. It's like oh I'll uh oh cast a spell. I'll play. Look oh uh, it, it resolves. Sure. <laughs> and you're like, what is right. that card? Or, you know, you play the Sheldock Isle and you slam, you know, when they have a Wasteland in play, and you just, like, you know, you actually whiff, but you just slam an unbelievable, you know, a card under it like it's the best card in the world, and they just they just it's, auto-get it. And you're like, yeah, eh. they're like, ha, sucker, and like, no. And I think that's another sucker. evaluation thing, too, that we can mention is that um, you're not actually losing a card if they blow up your land. It's just that the card isn't in your deck anymore. It's not like you had to take a card from... It's not like Imprint, uh, where yeah. you'd have to take a card from your hand and put something on there. The card that you're missing is just that you're missing. It's just your deck is just one card smaller. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes evaluate the card of, but if they blow it up, then I lose that card. Like, well, you never really had that card necessarily be, to begin with. You know, yeah. it wasn't in your hand or anything. So it's not as big a deal as as people might think. So I think people, like, I don't, I don't know if, like, I think people sometimes miss over, overstate, like, that effect. It's like when people overstate milling, it's, and I think, I don't know, like, I know the guys from Limited Resources definitely uh, talked a, a lot about that, about, and I'll give props to Marshall and Ryan for really 
going on that topic really well, but I think of something like uh, somebody has, you know, an unrest or something in their hand, and they don't want to loot because they don't want to lose whatever cards are in their hand. You know, they're like, oh, I, I don't have this. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not having this card anymore, and that's, you know, uh, you know, just kind of not thinking really critically about that. It's just like, well, I, you know, I lost. Yeah, the cards that. actually don't matter unless yeah. it's, you know, unless you're searching for an answer or you only have one way to win, and yeah. they get rid of it that way. But even then, it's, you know, kind of... it's, it's not positive or negative because what they might just be doing is taking the top ten cards off your deck when you actually really need the eleventh one. And I, I really don't want to get into that right now, but it's it's a kind of neither here nor there type thing because you know we could talk about that forever. Yeah, but I think it's definitely a good thing to keep in mind. But yeah, I yeah. wanted to mention it just the, the fact that it doesn't really matter when it gets blown up. It just matters that you lost a land. The card underneath of it really doesn't matter that much. You just have to realize that that's card that card's not available to you anymore. That's all. So. Yeah. Okay, your turn. All dust in the wind. One of the cards I want to talk about, and they're kind of like a two-parter, is a Force Spike and Mana Tithe. Ooh. One of the important things is to understand, like, kind of own up to your own mistakes in Cube, like, when you're evaluating cards. And before, when I saw, like, Force Spike and Mana Tithe, I was like, God, these cards are so bad. Like, why, why are people running these bad cards and, like, what? Why did you think they were bad? The main reason why I thought those cards were bad was because I, I kind of thought, well, you know, my opponents, you know, let's say they cast, like, a Wrath on turn four, and I have a Force Spike. It's like, oh, nice, nice card there, buddy. Nice Force Spike. Does, does a whole lot of nothing. Not going to play that. And just kind of thought about the fact that I, I figured there wouldn't be many times when it would be useful. You know, I was like, well, my opponent will just have two mana open or three mana open or whatever. And I was like, this card is terrible. And even it kind of, like, I, I did a drafted with a friend's cube, and he was, and, you know, I recommended those cards to him. And he had kind of the same argument. He's like, you know, I don't see many times when these, these cards will be relevant. However, the thing is, is that there are a lot of times your opponent will tap out in cube. You know, your opponent will go ramp up turn five, uh, play Indrix Stompower to blow up your signal. It's like, ah, uh, no. Got my got my four spike here, or things like that. Like mana leak, I think is almost obvious. It's one of those cards that people just snap. Thing is like I'm gonna go put this in because my opponent won't have three mana. And you know they tap out, like play a Jace on turn six, and you know they play Jace. It's like oh mana leak, nice nice Jace there, buddy. And they you know and they have two mana open. Miscalculation, oh. another one of those cards I feel is a little underrated, might go into the same point as well. Uh people misevaluating it, saying they thought it I, I maybe not misevaluating, they thought that, you know, two mana is, is not that much. And, you know, it's not that good, but I found that that happens. Again, all of these being in the same point that your opponents generally will tap out. And right, and I think that, that happens a lot just in limited in general, because you want to make, or just in magic, I think in order to, you know, there's a theory, you know, out there that any mana that you're not using on your turns is mana wasted, and over the course of the game, the person who actually gets to, I, I think in, in most games of magic, the person who actually uses the most mana is is often the winner. Um, it's just kind of a, you know, something I've heard Something I, I've kind of some thought about. Actually, I haven't crunched the numbers for it, but it seems like it should be right. I, I don't know if I, you know the, you think about like games of regular games of limited. 
if someone is curving out and they're going one drop, two drop, three drop spell, four drop spell, five drop spell, those draws are really hard to beat. And it's, yeah. and it's because they're using all of their available mana all the time. And I think Force Spike and, and Mana Tide put a kink in that because they, you know, you, people are tapping out a lot. Yeah, and I think especially, I think on like really, you know, I find like turn four is a really vital turn in most. Uh, there was an, there was something posted on MTG Salvation's Cube forum about uh like the critical turn, and I think f- turn four I think is a very important turn, or maybe even turn two, turn two as well. You know, like I'll play a Bob on turn two when I just have one blue man up, or my, you know, I'll my, my opponent will play Bob on turn two. And I'll just have one blue mana up and force spike it. Or they play... There's a ton of value to, for example, force spiking somebody's one drop. I mean, if you're a control deck playing against an aggro deck, like, if they're playing Goblin Guide or, you know, like, Figure of Destiny or something on turn one, like, definitely force spiking the crap out of that. Like, I don't want to deal with that card. Like, you just buy yourself so much much time by, Mm -hmm. by a little bit of disruption like that. And I think, like... The one mana thing I think I think is really useful. Like, a it's very it's quite unexpected. You know, it's like Spanish Inquisition. It's like what force bike? What is this? And especially like mana tide. I think that's really important on that card because nobody expects a white counter spell. It's like what force bike in you know? Oh yeah, you know you definitely get the tilt factor too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's just like man, I got my got my Gideon countered. Oh. I just white counterspell. What the? What is going on? Well, when I think I was, uh, I was playing against uh, when we were playing your cube in Memphis. I had uh, the deck that I played you against had both uh, mana tithe and force spike in it, and I yeah. got Matt both of them on back to back turns. He's like, Jeez. tap out for this, spike it. All right, tap out for this, tithe it, till ding ding <laughs> ding. Like, <laughs> and it's fun, fun for me anyway, but. I like it. That's yeah, I like the cards, and I'm glad you're uh, you're able to admit that you know you didn't think those cards were good, and you you've come to learn the error of your ways. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think you know, again, just all about really you know learning lessons from yourself, or even yeah, just like I, I think it's very important, yeah, to just in order to progress, it really is magic player, really anything, just to learn from your mistakes, like you know, if you take a linear kind of approach to it. Like, you go to a, a restaurant and then... Uh, actually, I don't know if that's really the best analogy. But if you try, if you learn, like, a direct lesson or something like, I tried this card. It sucked. Not good enough. Not going to play it. You're not really... But if you realize why the card wasn't good enough or why you misevaluated, And in my case, it was just really misperceiving the strength of the card. Like well, and I think, too, um, I don't think you notice how often people tap out until you start playing cards cards like Mana Tide or Force Like, because then That's it becomes true. relevant and you pay more attention to it. You're like, oh, wait a minute, spike you. Oh, yes, and spiking people's, like, sixes and sevens is just, like, the greatest feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. I'll tap out for Nicol Bolas, Planeswalker. Right. Nope. <laughs> God, that's got to be Tilt City. Like, oh. oh, yeah. That's such a great feeling. Hey, sorry about that. I had uh, some technical difficulties. And by technical difficulties, I mean a uh, a 24-toed cat that 
likes to walk over the keyboard and hang up phone calls and such. <laughs> Those of you who know him know him to uh, to be kind of insistent when he wants attention. And, uh, well, yep. sorry about that. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> as you were saying, we were talking about spiking nickel bolus. Yeah, spiking the big plays. And I think that's... Yeah, and I think that's really useful. And I think that pretty much sums it up. It's like, it's a really useful play. You know, you just, you know, just being able to counter the big plays. And most of the time it ends up countering those big plays. And I think that, you know, and the one mana factor, so huge. One one mana comes out of nowhere, makes it great. But I think that's it. Yep. All right. I'm going right. to go and hand the mic I, off to you. All right. I got another one that um, in the past year or so, um, Definitely since uh, uh, Scars of Mirrodin has been around. But even before that, it was getting a little bit of negative press. Um, and a lot of people have cut this card now, and I don't know why. Um, to me, this card is just incredibly powerful. And maybe it's because I got to play it in, in Standard the first time it was around um, and got to play it. Uh, I have lots of good memories associated with it and extended as well. Um, and that's Mindslaver. Oh, um, yeah. Mindslaver has been cut from a lot of cubes right now for things like uh, Mere Battlesphere or stuff like that. And I, I don't know, man. Mindslaver is just one of the most fun cards. It's so well designed. It's such a neat concept. But it's also obviously really powerful. And, you know, getting to take control of your opponent's turns is just, is just such a super strong play. Um, the worst case scenario for this card... <clears throat> I guess the worst case would be that you don't have, you know, 10 mana when you play it, which is obviously a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you don't tinker it out and, and have the extra mana and they just blow it up. Um, but, uh-oh, we might be having technical difficulties again. Uh-oh. Nope. Uh-oh, we try to distract them. Uh-oh, the other cat just beat <laughs> oh. down. Oh, hello, I heard that. I don't know if you guys heard that or not, but <laughs> put him too close to one of the other cats and he caught a beat down. Oh, um, my goodness. But... <laughs> The uh, the the worst case scenario for this card, um, to me, often is, you know, you, you spend your let's say you spend your ten mana. Obviously, you want things like that to have a very big impact on the game. Um, you know, you want to win the game right away, things like that. And the worst case scenario is obviously that it is a very very effective time walk. So your opponent doesn't have to cast anything. You tap them out. I mean, that's worst case scenario. That's, you know, provided they don't have any cards that do anything, no permanence to affect, no small creatures to attack into your big creatures. You know what I mean? That's absolute worst case scenario. Um, but best case scenario, there's a lot of fun things you get to do with, with Mind Slaver. Um, I was Mind Slavered recently in a game. Um, I think it was in Memphis. And in, in the span of that time, someone, uh, got to attack with two of my creatures into their creatures. Um, they were able to block one and kill one, and they just, you know, took two damage from the other. Then they took the last two loyalty counters off my Gideon to kill the tapped creature. Oh. So they killed my Gideon and my creature at the same time. Um, they uh, played and cracked the fetch land uh, and failed to find. Um, cast Wait. a removal spell on another one of my creatures and then tapped me out. Huh. I mean, that's pretty good. 
it's also really fun taking people's turns and trying to figure out how to screw them up the most possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the card can be a game winner. I mean, if you have a board stall and, you know, with, like, blockers on both sides, or, you know, you can, you know, set yourself up in a situation where you're able to alpha strike them the next turn. Um, but, you know, being able to search if if people are playing pseudo combo cards, I mean, just think about, if your opponent has, oh, I don't know, something like Necro or Yogmoth's Bargain in their deck. Oh, good their game. Deck. Literally. Right. Good game. You know, those are, you know, some of the best case scenarios. Um, but that used to happen a lot, um, you know, back in the uh, extended Tinker days. Um, you would mind slaver your opponent, and then you would tinker away something for their Phyrexian processor and pay all your life. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know what I mean? So it, it, it definitely has some kind of like, quote unquote, nut interactions. Um, you know, if they're playing the, the infinite, the Palancron deck or whatever, you know, you can st- use their mana to stroke you and, <laughs> and draw a bunch of cards. Uh, you, if, if it's not infinite, if it's infinite, you can kill them with it. Um, you can do things like mind slaver your opponent and then on their turn, you cast gifts ungiven. And since you're, or factor fiction, and since you're controlling their turn, they conveniently split the cards 5-0 for you on factor fiction. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a really fun card. It's a great tinker target. It's a great target for, uh, Goblin Welder. It's a great target for, uh, the, uh, uh, Academy Ruins. So I like it. I'm sad that people are stopping to play it. That's my spiel. The thing about Mindslaver, and it, it ended up being why I ended up cutting it from my list, was that I don't think its overall effect, like, I'm not going to say cost, like, 10 minutes, saying, you know, the fact that it can be a 10 mana time walk, like, that's its obvious worst case scenario. Like, even thinking even in terms of mana, it's just, like, the well, fact you can split I mean, it up is useful, definitely. Right, we don't like playing 5 mana time walks all the time. Why would we want to play a 10 mana time walk? Yeah, I just felt that when I did play it, I don't think its overall effect was if like consistent enough. Like for example, like the argument you said about Battlesphere, like Battlesphere, I think offers a more consistent overall value. Like, well, sure, because you know what you're getting every time. Yeah, but I mean, even even when our like. Again, limited resources. When I think they were evaluating the, I, I forget whether they talked about mind slaver in their initial review, or when they were talking about mind slaver in the later episodes. But uh, Ryan was talking about the like the range of the card, and kind of like you know obvious worst case being uh, tap your opponent out, time walk, and best case being kind of where you blow your opponent out and kind of like percentage. You know that's something really hard to quantify. Like how often are the best case, worst case, middle case, you know, where, say, you swing your, uh, or say you bolt your own guy, or you make your opponent bolt his own guy or something, and stuff like that. Where And, and again, that's really hard to quantify. I just felt, and again, yeah, it's really hard to quantify. Just like, like the overall effects of Mind Slaver in all of its effect versus something like Battlesphere or... Uh, Worm coil, or some, even like the overall competition in in just in just cube in general. I felt that Mindslaver, like if I were to compare, say, Mindslaver to Battlesphere, obviously one mana 
increase for Mindslaver to Battlesphere. But I felt that Mindslaver's overall effect was weaker than that of Battlesphere for the mana. Yeah, I mean, if that's and if that's the way it played out for you guys, and it definitely, by the way, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's fair comparing Mindslaver in Shard's draft format to Mindslaver in Cube, because people's decks in Cube are much more powerful and much more likely not to just have, you know, creatures the end. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, I drew a removal spell. I'll remove, I'll, you know, attack, make you kill my guy, remove my guy. Like, I, I almost feel like that's kind of the worst case scenario. But in cube decks, when you have just so many more dynamic cards, I feel like the possibility for the higher range, which I, I think your arguments are completely fair, but I think the higher range happens more often because of the increased uh, um, increased power and dynamic of the cards that are in cube compared to, you know, limited formats where you could be playing, you know, vanilla or pseudo, lots of vanilla or pseudo vanilla creatures. Yeah, like the bell curve shifts to to the right or whatever. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. Fair but enough. That's, so, but, but I also think the card has a, a huge fun factor, too, which I think um, should be playing as a factor uh, in people's cube construction. Like, some people obviously just want to play the most powerful cards, and while I agree with that for the most part, I think uh, fun plays into it some, too. And, I, you know, I want a chance to cast Mindslaver because it kind of makes a little sub-game of how you can, you know, screw up your t- opponent's turn the worst. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, how to basically undo all their best laid plans in a matter of one turn. So. Makes sense. Do and, you know, you have, have to, you know, if you have any way to recur it, you know, you did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you get it with ruins, it's like, GG, sir. Do you think we, maybe, like, one more each? Like, I do one, then you do one, and then wrap this up, do you think? Yeah, maybe one or two more each. Um, and then maybe I'll name um, what we can do, too, because there's a couple more cards I'd like to mention, and if you guys kind of want to hear the spiel, um, maybe I can just list some other cards that I run, and if people have questions about them, maybe they can ask us via email or the, the comment thread or the salvation thread and stuff like that, because uh, there's a couple more I want to – there's at least two more I want to mention here. Um and then, you know, maybe we can just name some other ones and, and people can ask us about them if they want. How's that sound? That works. I'm a fan. I like it. Okay. Right. Uh, so go ahead. You know, the, for the, I, I think if we're gonna do, if we're gonna do one more, that makes it harder, but, I don't know. I think for the last, like, it's for this one. Two more, but let's not talk about them a ton. Let's just talk okay. about them a little bit. Okay. Uh, one I think I'm gonna talk about is Catastrophe. Like, I, I don't know how often I see it in cubes, but I, I don't see it enough, I don't think. And, like, the other two cards are pretty aggressive. You know, Wild Dogs is pretty aggressive. Wild, a Mog Fanatic, pretty universal, but leans more towards aggro. And B. Catastrophe. Aggressive. Yeah, B-E-E, aggressive. B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E. B, aggressive. Did I spell that right? I think I did. I think so, yeah. But, yeah, I think Catastrophe... It, it's another, I think the Wrath variants, like, you know, obviously, obviously play Day of Judgment and Wrath of God, you know, stuff like that. Those cards are amazing. But I think sure. Catastrophe might very well be the, the best Wrath variant, I think. Ooh. Now, now, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty crazy claim, but I don't know. See, that's a, that's a strong statement, because, you know, I, I mean, Wrath of God is, you know, those cards are only four mana and do the job. And, yeah, you know, it has to be six. Uh, a, Chroma's, a Chroma's Vengeance just, you know, 
blows everything up except yes. for Planeswalkers. We got, but, we got a Mad Angel ready to blow everything up. But tell, I think, me, tell, me, tell me why it's the best. I want to know why, it's the, why you think it's the best. I think Catastrophe is the best because I think it's I think its roles are very useful for like I wouldn't I don't, I really wouldn't play it in an aggressive deck. Six mana is so much like the Armageddon. Like for for you people playing along, you don't want to look it up. Catastrophe essentially says uh, choose one, Wrath of God or Armageddon. Pretty simple. Right. And I think like I think it fits, which is kind of strange. If you think about it, is I think it fits mid-range and control decks better than the others. This may sound really weird, but consi- I'm one of the probably the best finishers in cube is Desolation Angel. Seven mana, essentially seven mana for five four, destroy all lands. Five and four reason- flying. Yeah, five four flying. Sorry, that's, that's that is relevant. And I think that is useful because it provides you know, a big creature in addition to blowing up all lands. And Absolutely. I, and I and blowing up all lands tends to be more of an aggressive thing. It's like you know you want to ramp up, you want to play, dude, 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 get in, get there. Right. But I think mass land destruction is also very useful in mid range and control builds when, say, you play, you get the creature edge, like you play a big finisher, and then you just want to press that card. You want to press that advantage. Like mm-hmm. I play Grave Titan, opponent does something not that impressive. Like, they play, like, a 4-4 or a 5-5 to try to keep up, and you go, Geddon, bash, get there, and you win. For the most part. Right. But I think somebody (laughs) else, like, yeah, and I think somebody put the point really well, I forget who, I think it might have been, like, uh, Pringles on MTGS. It was something like, when you're playing Catastrophe, Catastrophe either, if you're losing, it helps you not lose, and if you're kind of winning, it makes sure you win. Because yeah, the way that's exactly what I was going to say is that the thing I like about the card is that the card um, is good if you're behind or if you're ahead. Because if you're behind, it catches you up. If you're ahead, it helps you stay ahead. Yeah, and I think Geddens are kind of awkward in aggressive and control decks. I see it happen, and it usually feels pretty awkward. Like it, you kind of have to, you know, have to. It's it's pretty useless if you don't have the big finisher. Like if your opponent goes dude dude dude, and you have to get it's like uh don't don't want that to happen. And but I think it's both modes are very useful for mid range and control decks. Where you know that makes up for that six mana cost. Six mana is a lot. I mean, I've harped about how one mana can make the difference. Two mana is a ton. Like fifty percent more, as I said before. But yep. is it worth it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you on that one. I'm a, I'm a fan of catastrophe, so Yay, really kind of hard to disagree. I don't I, I don't know. I wouldn't know if I could tell you if I thought it was the best one, just because I'm not. You know what I mean? I, I understand why you said that, but I, mm-hmm. I I would have to you know go into my meditation chamber you know and emerge to try to rank those you know any differently. Yeah, that's hard. Like because of the mana cost, because they do different things, so. Yeah, but yeah, I, I'm I'm down with that one. All right, okay. is it my turn yet? Yeah. All right, my last pseudo long explanation one uh, that I'd like to mention are um, back in uh, Time Spiral Block, back in Future Sight. Uh, there is a uh, cycle of cards that they made one for each color that were free, um, called the Packs. 
Um, and I play two of them currently in my cube. Uh, the big thing with the packs is uh, you get the spell effect for free for people who aren't sure what they are or may not be familiar. You basically get the spell effect for free, and on your next upkeep, you pay the mana cost, and if you don't, you lose the game. Now, obviously one of, you know, pretty severe drawback if you can't pay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the but the two that I the two that I play is I I do play Slaughter Pact and Pact of Negation. Um, Slaughter Pact is destroy target non-black creature, um, and in your upkeep you have to pay two and a black. Pact of Negation is counter target spell. At your next upkeep, pay three and two blue. So while both overcosted for that kind of removal spell, you know it's it's an additional mana for terror. And it's an additional three mana for counterspell. Um, these cards, I think, do a couple of things dynamically. Uh, one is they allow you to uh, tap out without fear of retaliation. Um, there is times when you you really just want to get a you know need to get a game over with and need to commit things to the board, but you need to tap out to do so. Um, and these cards are wind up being great uh, breaking case of emergency cards, um, especially something like Pact of Negation where you can, you know, really put pressure on somebody um, to do something, and then you still have a pact to back yourself up. Um, Slaughter Pact also does a similar thing, but I find it works really well in aggressive decks. Um, and, and on a similar vein, you can tap out to do something, and if, let's say, you know, the, the worst question ever to ask in Cube is, what's the worst that can happen? Because most of the time when you ask that question, you find out. And these cards help buffer against the, the the swinging nature of cube cards and the what's the worst that can happen. Um, so I do like that aspect of them. However, one of my favorite aspects of them, and the reason why they continue to stay in the cube, is I play a little sub game with my packs. <laughs> um, I'll I'll do I'll do a, a link to the picture of them on the uh, on the show notes, but. Uh, on each of my packs, I keep a running tally of how many people have died to the pact. Um, so it winds up as a little sub-game. Now, uh, in standard, you know, you would a lot of times you would just hope people would forget about their packs and and they would die. Um, mm-hmm. they, they had since changed, from my understanding, they had since changed the floor rules that it's not an optional pay. It's because the card says, at the beginning of your next upkeep, pay Whatever. If you don't, you lose the game. And they, they eventually wound up, I think, changing the ruling right before they rotated out of standard to the paying not being optional. That if you had the mana, you had to pay it. Huh. And if you couldn't, then you would lose the game. So um, you couldn't, like, mize a win out of them forgetting? Right. And I, and I, I might not be, I might not be correct on that. Someone out there might be able to correct me, but I thought right towards the end of their standard lifespan, they made that floor rule change. Um, however, in the cube and the way we play, it's fun, you know, the way we play fun for us and people do it. We don't allow you, if you forget what, for one, you can forget because that's the way, you know, it's kind of fun to play them. Now we don't do any douchey things like, you know, set off fireworks or try to distract you, like, you know, pull up our shirts and try to distract you from paying your pact or whatever, things like that. But we do discourage people from using reminders, like 
putting oh, a die on Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. Because we're just like, oh, come on, man. If you, you want to play this spell, you know, at least remember it. I mean, granted, if people want to use reminders and they're going to get salty about it, we let them do it. But then it becomes kind of a game of how can I blow up their lands enough to get them? Oh. Um, most recently at the – was that the Invitational? Might have been at the Star City Invitational. Um, up-and-coming uh, writer Ben Hayes had to put a uh, a tick mark. And you have to – oh, that's the other thing. You have to put the tick mark on yourself. So you have to shamefully put the tick mark on the card. <laughs> uh, I, I was able to get someone who uh, – they cast a Sundering Titan um, – and they only had two, they only had, afterwards, they only had two blue sources. Um, and I went to, I had a remove, I had a, uh, a crystal shard in hand. So they tapped out to play their guy. I tried to counterspell it. Uh, they packed of negation to my counterspell. So I untapped, played my crystal shard, and bounced their, uh, their titan. Bounced their titan, and they had to blow up one of their blue sources. Whoa. So during so they died during their next upkeep. I guess you could call <laughs> that a blowout. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I mean, and it's all in good spirit. And that's the other thing too is these are you know I know these cards aren't the most efficient cards. I do like the effect that they have because they do let you, uh, they they do let you have something in case of an emergency. So I do like the way they play. But for me, the added value of the don't forget about them. And finding ways to get people so they have to mark them is is another fun sub game for me. Kind of like with the mind slaver of figuring that stuff out. And I think with those cards, like there are better free analogs. Like you know, there's snuff out. I would say is probably is definitely better than uh, right. Packs. Snuff out's in my cube also. Yeah, I mean the question is, is it not as good free effect? Still good enough? Like I, if when I you know when I had them in my cube. I don't know if I had Pact of Negation, but I know I had Slaughter Pact in for a while. But, like, when you're considering it in your curve, I mean, obviously put it at three. Don't don't try to put it at zero. Like, that's, that's just... No, you don't put it at zero. <laughs> yeah, it's just disingenuous. First turn, like, Goblin on. Guy, get it. Oh, no. There's your answer. <laughs> There's your answer if you want to concede or something. But, yeah, it's just like... I don't know. I'm not really a huge fan of Slaughter Pact. But I think Pact of Negation is interesting. Like, I've seen matches... Where you know my you know opponent uh, mind twists or whatever plays big spell, uh, opponent counters it, packed that and then doesn't forget or something. And I, but I think right. the question is They're how. Great. But I don't know. That's it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting question. Like I don't know. It's one of those cards that's kind of on the bubble for me. But I don't well, know. and it's, these obviously these are not what I consider to be auto includes. You yeah. know, we said it, I mentioned at the beginning of the, po- at the top of the podcast that some of the cards we're talking about we think should be auto includes. These are not cards I think should be auto includes. I think these are cards that are on the you know on the edge of a medium sized cube playability. But I choose to play them for the reasons I stated, and I think it is a fun game to play. And everyone else who's played my cube has actually found it to be a really fun game to play with them too. Because, you know, they actually do something. The cards are powerful, like, enough to do to have an impact on the game. They definitely serve a purpose that other spells in the cube do not. You know, obviously you have Force of Will or whatever, you know, as, like, a free counter spell. But, you know, there's definitely – they they fill a hole that's not 
you know, flooded with other answers. Yeah. For example, you know, I'm not going to run cancel on my cube because there's a bunch of other cards at that cost or cheaper that do the job better. Yeah, like uh, uh forbid. Right. Counterspell. Yeah, or yeah, ca- good old counterspell. Right, exactly. Like there's there's a bunch of cards that do it, you know, just as well or better. Um these cards, while yes, there are cheaper remover spells than three mana, yes, there are cheaper counter spells than five, but you don't get the you don't get the effect for free. Yeah. Um, I've also killed I've also killed people with slaughter pact because I'm able to, for example, on my turn, play a piece of equipment, equip it, and then kill their guy for free, swing and kill them. That's true. Because of the evidence. So you know, it, it definitely has scenarios like that. But these are definitely not what I would consider auto includes, but. They are. They have been fun inclusions for us, for sure. That works. I can. I can co-sign on that. All right. Do you want to right, list? Any, some, do you want to list? Like you said, list some other cards. Like, like sure. Kind of briefly list them or something. Or yeah. I. You know, if you'd like, why don't you go ahead and, and why don't you go ahead and do a few since I've you know had the, the soapbox for a couple minutes here. Okay, that works. Uh, and I don't know, like Rafelos, Lanwar Emissary. I think it's a great card. You know, you know, taps for. It's going to tap for almost always two mana, which is pretty. It's much. a, I mean, it's a must kill most yeah. of the time. Oh my god, yeah, it's like going from two to five is just nuts. I, I'm definitely a big fan of Ravelos. Uh, I, I think it should be. A- yeah, I, I agree. I, I just don't see it in as many lists as I would like to see, but yeah, definitely, definitely love Ravelos. Um, Stormbind, another card I feel is underrated, and I think I've kind of gone over that in in uh, prior episodes, which is why I've kind of relegated it to the like, list kind of thing. It's like, uh, really okay. nice finisher, throw throw whatever at their face, good game, sir, next game. And, uh, Kira Great Glass Spinner, I think is really useful, especially in, like, the mid-range kind of decks. Or maybe not the mid-range, kind of more tempo-based. Like, I think yeah, it's probably one of the best... the green-blue tempo decks it would be great in, I would think. Yeah, it, like, the Simic deck, I think, is, is such a good card. It's like, not only are your big finishers big, they're also protected, like, Deal with my Stomp Haller. Deal with my Acidic Slime. Deal with my, uh, I don't know. Deal with my Razor Main Massacre. <laughs> Good luck. Right. But yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, should I do more or do you think that's good? Yeah, you can name a couple more if you want. Uh, okay. Uh, Plague Sliver, I think is, is, I think solid. I, I'm more than happy with the Juzomjin. And, but sometimes I f- see a list where there's Juzomjin and no Plague Sliver. And I'm like, oh, dude, they're mostly the same. And, again, like, if there was, like, say, eight versions of that, you know, obviously there's a cutting point. There's, you know, a, a get point where you have to be like, well, wait a minute, something's got to give, especially at four mana. I don't know. I don't, But I don't think one extra one for Plague Sliver is, is uh, pushing it too hard. And uh, Goblin Trenches, I think, is another one. Like, I think people, it's another, it's one of those cards where you have to, like, go big or go home. Like, you know, sacrifice mm-hmm. a bunch of lands to it, and I think people are too scared sometimes to commit to it. They're like, oh, sure. I don't want to sacrifice my lands. They're, I might use them to cast stuff. But when you're sacrificing lands to Goblin Trenches and Alpha Striking, uh, lands aren't really that important. You just go and make uh, make six dudes swing for the win, or even just go bash, bash, whatever. It requires risk, but, you know. Sure, and that card, and that card obviously, see, if you have more token support, that that card obviously sees... Uh, if you're playing things like Crusades or uh, Anthems or you support a token theme, I think that card increases in value also. And that's true. 
And uh, Venser, the uh, Venser, the Sojourner, I think is really solid. Like, it obviously needs something to go with it, but I feel its interactions, it's a very good enabler. You know, it's just like, oh, I have to, you know, if you play almost anything with a 187 effect, it's just so ridiculous when you start getting that incremental advantage, like bouncing a Wall of Omens, bouncing Manic Vandals, bouncing so much things. Like, there are so many 187 creatures in cube, it's ridiculous. And even, like, if your opponent doesn't have a way to attack it, like, you know, if it, it, it's it, the fact that ramps plus two is useful, and you know, if your opponent can't attack into it very well, like its emblem, I forget how many turns it takes. I, think it's like, I mean, the emblem is just about unbeatable, right? Yeah, like your opponent can recover, but I find that's really hard for the opponents to do unless they're in red. Like your opponent can obviously, you can you can be at six and get them to emblem mode, and your opponent can go uh, stagger shock rebound uh, bolt you. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't need permanence to do that. But I think for the most part, he's he's great, and, it, and his unblockable ability, unblockable ability isn't, you know, it's not worthless. I think it's it's fine. You know, it's yeah, not, I can see that. I can see that ability being good if you're uh, like in a Bant type deck. Um, yeah, it's, it's where kind you of your ground stalls to push your uh, like your lore scale coatl and maybe some other things through their blockers. You know. I could see I could see where that would be occasionally helpful. I, I it definitely wouldn't be the the primary mode of the card. I was but. about to say definitely not optimal. And and granted, yeah, three turns to get him to emblem mode is fine. It is a while. Like three a lot can happen in cube. And three turns is a lot. But I I, sure I, is. I, I don't like when he has gotten emblem mode, it, it's never it's never felt like something like a huge disappointment. It's not like, oh man, this guy got to emblem mode. Well, I might as well take a picture of it because it's never gonna happen. It happens. It happens relatively often. Very cool. At least, at least enough. But I think he's solid. Vincer, thumbs up. And yeah, uh, I haven't had a chance to play with him yet. Hopefully, I'll be getting a be getting a foil one in the mail after this uh, after this weekend. So that'll sweet. be nice to try it out. Okay. Awesome. I think that's it. Got really. one more. Got one more quick one. Nope, I think that's it. I've gone off enough. Like Mox Monkey, Gorilla Shaman. Like I think he's fine. Even in an unpowered list, I think he's fine. Just to, you know, his it can be expensive to kill like stuff like three mana and above. Like seven mana to destroy a Ring of Jex is pretty awkward. But I think I find that ability pretty TB pretty useful. Like spend five yeah, mana. I, to pull I, up a I feel like he's an auto include in power cubes, but not so much in non powered lists. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think he's an auto-include for sure, but I think he's fine. One mana, you know, yeah, I, aggro... I, I aggro like, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, aggro decks are happy to get their early beaters, and I think he's, sure. I think he's he provides enough of an upside to be useful, but I could see cutting him, but not anytime soon. But yeah, yeah. there's my list. In top of this, he should definitely be in there, I think. For sure. Because... <clears throat> Because all the fast mana, and I've made this argument before, that the fast mana helps, I think, the mid-range and the control decks more. And obviously, Gorilla Shaman can very easily be a, a big boon to the aggressive decks to help keep those other decks off of that fast mana. You know, give, give you a chance to give you a chance to to keep the uh, the mana arms race fair. So, yeah. All right, I'm done with my list. How about you? All right. So some quick ones. Um, I've been very happy with Precursor Golem since adding it. There are definitely times where you can get blown out, like the aforementioned Searing Blaze. Um, however, um, 
I, I've just found that having the uh, the nine power for five mana is really good post sweepers, um, and it also has some really favorable interactions with other cards, most notably like something like recurring nightmare. Oh so, yeah, or like crystal shard. Right, right. There's there's a few cards like that. Um, Another card that that I've I've really liked and unfortunately I haven't seen a whole lot of play recently because I don't think it's been open very much, um, but uh, but I have trouble cutting it is a Teferi Mage of Zalfir, um, which uh, five mana has flash creature cards that you have that aren't in play have flash, but your opponent can only play spells when they can play sorceries. I feel like anything that changes the game changes the rules of the game in your favor can only be good. Um, and there's nothing quite like, you know, an end-of-turn Teferi um, to really kind of help you lock down the game, especially if you're the counterspell removal type of control deck. And, you know, he's a 3-4. He's not an insignificant body. He survives a lightning bolt, so. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I used to run him in like my him a lot. I used to run him in my cube, and there was somebody who got really offended. Like, I think he doesn't want to draft my cube anymore because I took out Teferi, and I'm like, that seems a bit excessive. Yeah, but. of course it is. You know, if something comes out that's better, you know, I could see myself replacing it. But for now, I, I enjoy the card, and I, I obviously it has to be a, a primary blue deck. But you know what? I'm okay with that. You know, I, it's he's him, he and his uh and his flash brother events are, are are both cards. I'm always happy to have in my in my uh, blue control decks for sure. Nice. Uh, oh, and I, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna keep going. What were you gonna say? Uh, no, I'll just I'll just wait till the end. Oh, okay. Um, I like Mystic Crusader a lot. Uh, Mystic Crusader is the one white, white, two, one, pro black and pro red that has threshold and gets uh, bigger and flying. Um, I like this card. It, double protection is always good. Um, the threshold is kind of a neat little bonus, but I think the main, one of the main reasons outside of the double protection why this card stays in my cube is because it helped me win the, uh, I was the only person in the room running this card for a PTQ for the first PT Honolulu or, uh, for Hawaii. And uh, I basically uh, read that the metagame was going to be mostly Boros that day and actually included two to three Mystic Crusaders uh, in my main deck with some on the side. And my uh, I played two Boros decks during the day. And then my, my finals, my top eight matches were top eight against Goblins, uh, Boros Mirror in the top four, Boros Mirror in the finals. And oh. we, I, I had, my, my list was like, uh, four Silver Knight, three Mystic Crusader main deck. So yeah, absolutely crushed. Wow. And got, got a free trip to Hawaii. So Mystic Crusader has a special little place in my heart because, uh, and he's still fine. Like he's, yeah. I think he's good. Um, double protection is always, is always super nice. Especially um, without sideboards. Like you play without sideboards and, like right. 70% of your matches, you know, the the color pairs, whatever, like the dual protection guys protect against 70% of your matchups. Right. Exactly and right. And that's pretty solid, you know. And, and if you get the against... It's insignificant either when you when he actually gets threshold. The flying actually can matter as well because, you know, one of the... He doesn't have protection from white or green. Green especially doesn't have a whole lot of flying protection. So you can that's still true, protect huh? after... In the in the late game or the you know the mid to late game when they start uh, deploying all their uh, all their big stupid elephants, you can still you can still crack them back over the top. Um, if you guys play uncards, I think my favorite uncard is Rare Be Gone. 
Or actually, uh, uh, bef- before you get on Rare gone, like oh. how often, uh, do, how how long does it usually take to get Threshold, and how often do you get Threshold with that guy? Um, it depends on what kind of a deck the card is in. Um, if, for example, if I have a nice Boros deck, uh, or anything that has a good amount of removal spells and fetch lands, it usually doesn't take very long. Um, usually by you know turns you know turn five or six. Um, wow. If, if, because the other thing too, you have to realize, especially against other creature decks, um, you're gonna be, they're gonna be killing your creatures, you're gonna be casting spells to kill their creatures, your creatures are going to die, you have fetch lands, so it doesn't actually take as long as you might think. Hmm. Okay. Um, That's one thing I was kind of, I was wondering when I, cause I, I haven't included my cube, but I've been considering it, like, uh, I, I'm doing, like, my Star City article is gonna be, my first one there is gonna be about, uh, hoser cards. And ever mm-hmm. since, like, I'm, I'm, al- I'm, like, almost done with it. And, like, I mentioned that card, and I've been thinking about it since. I'm like, huh. Double yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Obviously, if you don't have, like, the fetches, um, or a whole lot of spells, per se, it's gonna take a while. But I kinda consider the threshold, I don't really consider the threshold to be part of the reason why I run the card. It's just kind of a nice little bonus on the back end. It's like uh, Thrun that can't be countered. Or the fact that Thrun can't be countered, it's like, that's not why you play it, it's just gravy. Yeah, I mean, the card's obviously insane, you know, and if you take off probably any of the abilities, he's probably still going to be in the cube. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> if, yeah. if he can be countered, okay. If Thrun. he can be targeted, yeah, that's probably the worst one to lose, but he still has regeneration. And, and if he were to lose regeneration, power. eh. I don't care about re- losing regeneration. You can't target them anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so the the threshold I don't feel has to be a a super big component of the card. It's just a nice thing. It's it, it does add just adds value to it to a card that I already like. So awesome, thumbs up. But if you okay, don't have you, know, if you don't have a lot of the uh, if you don't have a lot of the the fetch lands and the removal spells and things like that, obviously it'll take a little bit longer. But you know the fact remains is that if if you're playing creatures, they will die. <laughs> and if you're playing spells, they will wind up there as well. So. Creatures die in cube a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. All right. Uh, for long. Uh, Rare for cutting off Ramigon. Would be my unpick. Uh, Ramigon says each player sacrifices all rare permanents, then reveals his or her hand and discards all rare cards. Um, people get into a lot of reason why people don't include this card a lot of times is because they don't know how to play the card. Um, the way we play it, is um, it gets all rares and all mythic rares from their original printing. Uh, for example, if you have a Hypnotic Spectre in player in hand, that would not be affected by the card hmm. because um, it was originally printed as uncommon. Uh, same thing with Loxodon Warhammer, originally uncommon. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a card that was originally printed as rare and then downgraded that I would play. I guess if you were to play Sarah Angel, no, that started out as uncommon. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a card that's been moved down in rarity that might be good enough. Maybe I'll think of it later. But we go by original printings. Even if you have like a rare promotional copy of it, well, is the card, was the card printed as rare or mythic rare? That's what it gets. Um, it's also my favorite card to open up in pack one and then draft around. Hmm. Because. It's really, I don't know, I, and maybe I just get a little bit more enjoyment out of my cube um, doing things like that, like having little sub-games of, oh, cool, let's see if I can draft with 
the least of them. I mean, you still draft rares and you still draft mythics. You know what I mean? But you just, you know, maybe you make the choice to, you know, instead of taking a char, maybe you definitely take the flame javelin instead. Or you definitely take the burst lightning instead. You know what I mean? Like but you I, make little decisions like that. Things might be close, and then you just error towards the side of uh, error towards the side of non-rare. And the blue, the red-black combination for it is really the best because you can build some pretty sicko decks in black-red without using any rares at all. And yeah, sometimes I mean, it's just a one-sided apocalypse. I think as long as you're not like completely bending over to accommodate the card. Like, if you're not, like, oh. if you took, like, if it was, like, Bob versus uh, Douthy Horror or something, and you take you Bob, take I mean, Bob. It, yeah, you just take <laughs> Bob. It's like, whatever. Like, yeah, go ahead. But, I mean, like, it I don't think it's... force you to be a bad magic player. You yeah. still take good cards. And you know what? If your deck is winds up full of rares, or, I mean, and you, or, you know, you're not red or whatever, like, then you just don't play it. But it's, yeah. you know... You, you know, it doesn't force you to play bad magic. It just gives you a way that, you know, kind of another fun, uh, construct, constructive angle that you can, that you can pursue and, and have a good time with. So. Yeah. And we kind of went on that when you build around me cards. And it's, it's another one of those really useful build around me. Oh yeah. I did mention it in there, didn't I? Well, oh well. I think so. Oh well. It's, it's always, it's always good to mention it again. Oh well. Yeah. yeah what are you going to do? And of course, you know, I, I run an absolutely terrible card in my cube that uh, I'd be more than willing to pull out at some point, but we're still amused by it, and that's door to nothingness. I'm probably the only one in creation to run this in my cube, but you know what? That's cool. Uh, we kind of run it as, uh, I've mentioned before, as kind of an Xbox achievement of slamming the door on somebody. Uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a five-mana artifact. comes into play tapped. Um, you have to pay two mana of each color. So... Uh, you know, two white, two blue, two black, two green, two red. Sacrifice door to nothingness. Target player loses the game. Uh, slamming the door on somebody is just one of those things that it's humiliating to have done to you. It's demoralizing. And, you know, it's fun to build around. But it's, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's an awesome card. It's an amazing card. It is purely in there as a pet card and a fun card. And, um, I've seen people, like, uh, my friend Adam, who plays it all, you know, who plays it a lot of times, just is so amused by Door to Nothingness. And as it turns out, if you wind up playing, uh, infinite mana games a lot, so if you're playing a variant like Windfall, or, uh, Type 4, or Off the Top, DC 10, whatever, it's also pretty sick in those two. But that's not a reason to play it. We just play it because, because we're amused card. by it. Yeah, we just play it because we're amused by it, basically. That so, works. You know. Okay. That's yeah. there it is. That's my reason. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this card is better than like Pipping Needle, like we said last week. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, Anthony, which card's better for my cube? Obviously, Pipping Needle's better for your cube. However, I play this card because we think it's fun and we get a lot of fun value out of it. So that works. That's it. Yeah. And uh, the thing I wanted to mention uh, before we wrap up the show is, uh, and actually, this happened like. Just as I said that was uh Inqua Looter, we talked about a uh, fan of the show. Uh was a, we were talking to him about having some like business cards uh, on one side and tokens on the other side. With uh and we ended up the uh, you know, we ended up choosing uh the illusion token from Maloku, which coincidentally was our crack a pack pick. Very nice. Well <laughs> your like, crack a pack pick. Uh, yeah, they, they well uh, you know 
we we cover <laughs> the crack. It's our, it's ours, you know. And our and then well, actually, this is my pick. Yeah, my bad. But yeah, he he just sent a sketch of oh. the Maloku Toki. Yeah, right as we sent it at right as we we're recording. I'm like, you have an email on your phone. I'm like, what? And yeah, are you gonna forward it to me? Yeah, of course. After the show, but yeah, it's like. Oh. Yeah, it's um essentially yeah. So I, I got the exclusive buzz, like TMZ or something, but it's um it's a kind of a cloudy background, and there's like a head, and you know it's kind of a, like an illusion, kind of like a head, and with like an L on its head because it's like Maloku, it's like an illusion being a jerk or something. And of course, I'll post it on the show notes, of course. But oh, I, well, very I, cool. Yeah, but yeah, I love it. Like I am definitely looking forward to it. I mean, y'all. Y'all post, you know, if you think it looks great. I mean, it's Inquiluter. I mean, come on. Dude's amazing. Enough said. But, yeah, definitely definitely thought that was awesome. Definitely want to fit that in before we get done. And, yeah, I think that just about covers it. And, uh, oh, man. Yep. And it's been a blast recording this. And, yet I'm, I'm glad we finally hit double digits, you know. Yeah, this is nice. Only, I mean, we got a long time to spend in double digits, though, before we get to triple, so... Yeah. Better, uh, Wizards better keep printing cards for us to talk about, and I'm sure we have plenty more to talk about when it comes to Cube, and not very hard to, uh, twist our arms to find stuff to talk about, so. Exactly. And of course, uh, everybody, you know, uh, uh, post, and, uh, actually before, before we wrap it up, you know, of course, ways to contact us, uh, we got the blog, uh, at, uh, idratherbecubing.wordpress.com. And, you know, the Twitters, the Twitter accounts, mine at Usman the Rad. And mine and, at Anthony42. Yep. And, uh, the show email. The show email. Yep. At MTG, the third power at gmail.com. And the, uh, MTG Salvation Thread on, either on the Cube Forum called the Third Power Podcast. But yeah, I think that's, you know, we definitely, I mean, we haven't been able to address some of, like, I, you know, like some of the ideas. We definitely like the ideas and the feedback and everything, you know, as long as you're not, like, calling us idiots or anything. It's like, hey, you guys suck. I hope you die in a fire. It's like, okay, um, thanks. Hey, man, no such thing as, no such thing as bad press. If people want me to die in a fire, that means I must have done something that got their, get their attention. So That's can't true. be that well, bad. Or they have a, as long or as they I had a fly in a fire, it's okay. Yeah, I was about to say that's that's where it might be bad. Uh, I think that's everything I wanted to cover. Uh, like I said, some of the ideas, like you know, we'll try to cover like you know multiplayer, like a multiplayer module to add to a cube, you know, st- multiplayer cube. Uh, try to interview some people. We've been you know, anything I ever talking about, you know, trying to get some guests on the show to interview and for me to crack terrible jokes at. Yeah, we're, uh, I, I'm, I've been talking to a couple people who, uh, are, are, are big cubers themselves and a lot of people who have, uh, kind of cubes that are outside the normal realm of cubes. Um, at, at least I know when I think of cube, I think of this, you know, 360 to 720 card collection of the best cards, of most of the best cards. Um, but other people have other ideas out there and I'm, and I'm looking, I'm finding some of the more interesting ones. Um, so if you're one of these people who have one of these interesting cubes, uh, send us, drop us a line, let us know about it, and and sell us on it, and maybe maybe we'll call you up and see if we can get you on the show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, like definitely appreciate the feedback. Thank you, awesome. thank you. Yeah, thank you everybody. Thanks to you know 
Thank you, David. Shout out again. Thanks to Inkwell Looter. Shout out again. Uh, thanks to everybody. Thank you, Islam. Yep. Thank you. I'll bow to you, sir. Th- th- thank you to uh, Adam Stibbs Saborski. Give you a shout out as well. I don't know. Just <laughs> thank you to everybody. I just want yeah, to thank, thank my mother and yeah, my thank father. You. Thank the Academy. Shutting off the podcast in the middle. Yes, thank and you. the weather for it's going crazy here. By the way, it's we're getting crazy thunder and lightning outside. So wow, and I've actually seen, I've actually seen the lights flicker once here. So we're oh, definitely dear. we're gonna have to cut short. We're getting the uh, the music starting to play in the background here. We got to get off stage before my computer blows up or something. So. That's true. Enough enough power is going on for the wrap it up button, or just it, power is just going horrible. It's like right, but yeah. wrap it up, wrap that wrap it up. All right, which means. One last thing. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. Prophecy. Prepare for all things mammoth. See you guys next week. <laughs>